You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. It used to be every Sunday night when I was a child that I would leave our sitting room and I would walk quietly down the hallway of our bungalow that we grew up in. And my father did something every Sunday evening. And for a long time I was fascinated and I would stand by the door peeking in of his bedroom watching what he was doing. Because he would come in every Sunday evening and he would go around the house and he would carry big bags that were full. And then he would kneel down by his bed. But he wasn't praying. The bags were full of cash. Thousands upon thousands of punts. That was the old currency. And he would start counting the money every Sunday evening, about 8 o'clock. And he would count all the notes one by one. And he would count them carefully. And tenderly. And lovingly. And as a child, I was fascinated at this. My dad had a whole load of businesses that he ran. And he was really successful in business. He he came from nothing. My grandparents were small farmers with a big family. He came from a poor background. But he really was a self-made man. And my brother continues a lot of those businesses today. But as he counted the money... I was wondering, what drove him to have this money? You see, when my dad died, not only did he have money in a whole load of different bank accounts, but there were tens of thousands of euro stuffed into kettles up in the attic, into bags in the shed. There was cash everywhere. The man made such money. But as I look back, As an adult, I remember something that has been playing on my mind for a while. My dad could barely read or write. It seems in my family, half the family were what I now think is dyslexic, and we know it was, and the other half of us loved reading and were bookworms. But my dad had a disadvantage in his life. He struggled in school. He finished school with primary school at the age of 14. He grew up during the 1930s when the Great Depression was all around the world, and maybe part of it was poverty, but I am convinced that part of the driving force in his life to be a successful, wealthy man was the fact that he could barely read or write. And it was like that wound drove him to prove to himself, perhaps to prove to his family and others, that he was able to overcome the disadvantage in his life despite the fact that he could barely read or write. And I want to talk about that today because my dad wasn't born again. Yet he had that in him. I think it's inherent in a lot of people. But I want to say today, because I've been thinking and praying about this for a while. And as I did, I don't miss you when I say I saw people sitting in here with a coffin next to them. It's like the disadvantage in your life. You're bringing it in with you. And it's going around like a dead body hanging over you. 
and it is stealing your confidence, your hope, your joy, even your faith, your upbringing, whatever it is, it is stealing what God wants you to have. Now, if an unbeliever can overcome that, maybe the way he overcame it wasn't the best, but I want to challenge you today. Do you think God can turn your disadvantage into an advantage? Excuse me. Do you think he can do that for you? Because I want to challenge you and encourage you to just think. Because everyone here has a disadvantage. Every one of you. Whether you're aware of it or not. Maybe it's your education or lack of it. Maybe you say, I'm an immigrant. Or I'm too old. Or my face doesn't fit the way it should. Or my body shape isn't what it should. Or, or, or I, I don't have the skill set to get on with people. Everyone has an advantage. And I want to say, let's see if God can turn your disadvantage into a, an advantage. I am going to put it out there as a challenge that over the next month, you and I will consider who we are and how God can turn us around. And I want to share a scripture today that I hope will give you encouragement to do what I've just suggested. I'm going to be looking at the Old Testament today. Some people write off the Old Testament, but we can learn so much from it if we interpret it through the lens of the New Testament. I'm going to throw up a map. This is a map of Israel. The uh, blue on the left of the screen or the right over here is the Mediterranean. In the middle is Israel. You can see Bethlehem. And then you can see down here the land of Moab. This was a neighboring nation of Israel. And a bit like Putin invading Ukraine, the Moabites invaded the land of Israel. And they subjected the people there to a type of slavery. And it is into that context that I want to raise someone up here from history, who was real, and perhaps challenge you and challenge myself to see how someone can turn a disadvantage into an advantage. We're going to be looking at Judges 3. A judge in the Old Testament from this book isn't a judge as we have today. It's not some guy in the court who will pass out sentence. A judge was a leader. And we'll look at that in a moment. So I'm going to re read an abridged version, just highlighted verses from Judges 3. If you want to get the full impact of this, read the chapter yourself at home. It'll take you only five to ten minutes. But may God bless the portion of his word we're reading now in Jesus' name. The Israelites cried out to the Lord about their enemy and oppressor, King Eglon of Moab. So the Lord raised up Ehud for them, a left-handed deliverer from the tribe of Benjamin. He hid a sword strapped onto his right thigh, and he asked to see King Eglon alone. He then reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh, killing the oppressor. Then he went up to the hill country of Ephraim and he blew a trumpet declaring, follow me for the Lord has given the enemy into our hands. So the Israelites followed Ehud and fought against Moab. They struck down 10,000 mighty Moabite warriors until not a man was left. And then the Moabite oppressors 
became subject to Israel. And there was peace for 80 years. Hallelujah. This is a portion of scripture that very often we don't see, but it is, in my opinion, something we really need to look at. We're told that the Israelites cried out to the Lord about their oppressor. It doesn't matter about his name. But they were oppressed by someone. This is the essence of your faith and my faith. That we have an oppressor in our life. And the big thing about being born again is moving from slavery into freedom. Would anyone say amen? Now the Israelites had bought a lot of the trouble on themselves if you read into it. Just like you do. And just like I do. But there came a time when they realized, I need to cry out to the Lord. What a brilliant moment. If your heart is broken here, if you're stressed out with anxiety, the moment you cry out to the Lord, you have started a new journey. Hallelujah. And this is the beginning of a great thing. So they cried out to the Lord about the one who was oppressing them. Look at this. The Lord raised up a left-handed deliverer for them from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was called Ehud. Now, in this season, there were no kings in Israel. You see, kings were never really God's plan. And with the greatest of respect, philosophically and almost spiritually, I struggle with monarchies. This thing that because you're born of a certain family who probably slaughtered, raped, and pillaged all around them a couple of hundred years ago, that suddenly you're special. I really struggle with that. And, and, and it was never God's will. God never wanted Saul to be a king. He didn't want any kings. Kings oppress usually. And so what he would do is the Lord would raise up men and women back then and he would raise them up. Not man, God would raise them up. And so they prayed and the Lord raised him up. That's the first thing. There was an anointing on this man. And again and again in the book of Judges, you'll see an anointing on the men or the women. That's the first thing. Second thing we see, he was a left-handed man. And today you probably go, grand leg, what's wrong with that? There was a lot wrong with it back then. And he came from the tribe of Benjamin. And again, that's very important as well. And in Benjamin, it was one of the smaller tribes. Anyone know which city was in the territory of Benjamin? Jerusalem. And this is really important as well, because Jerusalem speaks symbolically to us today about the Christian church. We're talking about you, because you're in a Christian church today, and probably you are born again. So this is who God raised up. A left-handed man. Now the thing is, Benjamin, or Benjamin, to use its proper way of saying it, actually means son of my right hand. And what happened here is that Benjamin, now son of my right hand, that's the meaning of the term. And yes, it means someone who's strong because most of us are left-handed. But, sim sorry, right-handed, symbolism is everything. You might say, I don't know about symbolism. Well, you're probably wearing on your body 
an item of clothing with branding on it. Or maybe it's your shoes. Or maybe if you're not into clothing, it's a team you support. Or maybe it's something political. Even our Christian faith, we have symbolism that is so powerful. The breaking of bread, the baptism of water. If you were to wash someone's feet, it's powerful symbolism. Our nation has symbols of flags and anthems and so on. And apparently the historians say that the young men of Benjamin would go around with their right hand up like that in a fist and they thrilled that they were part of Benjamin. I'm one of the right-handed warriors. But he was left-handed. He, he wasn't right-handed. Now, it used to be within living memory that if you were in school here in Ireland or in most of the Western world and you were left-handed, the teacher would force you not to use your left hand. You had to use your right hand. I know Denise often spoke about her granddad, Timmy Desmond, and how he was left-handed and was forced to use his right hand. Of course, the thing is, it turned out to be an advantage because these people then became what we call ambidextrous. They could use their right or their left hand. But even today, being left-handed is a disadvantage at times. If you want to use the scissors, you've got to get a left-handed scissors. If you want to play the guitar, you've got to get a left-handed guitar. Can I ask, are there any left-handed people in the house in this service? Would you put up your hand if you're left-handed? One, keep up your hand. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I didn't know you were left-handed. Whoa, respect. Respect. <laughs> so, left-handed, apparently you're more creative, but in some cultures it was a disadvantage. And if you were a young hot-blooded male and you wanted to go out and fight for your country and you were part of Benjamin and you were left-handed, they kind of looked at you a little bit different. Symbolism was you were different, you didn't fit in, so you were really disadvantaged. Now, left-handed here is symbolic of all disadvantages. Whether you're dyslexic or your face isn't good-looking enough or you're the wrong color skin or you're female or you're too young or you're too old, whatever it is. Different, don't fit in, disadvantage. Did you know that if you don't fit in, if you feel like you're an outsider where you are, you actually have a huge advantage because you are seeing the world around you with a different point of view. And just like my dad, who could barely read or write, if even, that generator within him caused him to be in my opinion, one of the most successful businessmen I've ever come across. And that drive and that intelligence, you see, just because you have something like dyslexia, it doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It just means your brain is wired in such a way that the reading we have doesn't work for you. And so here we've got a guy who was left-handed. He was disadvantaged. Um, in boxing, they call it the southpaw. If you have a boxer who's got a southpaw, he can hit his opponent in a way that he could never see. And he has such an advantage. In Irish, we call it the kitog. 
And again, in Irish society, society originally, and you go right back to the Brehan laws, you can see that the kitog was always seen as someone with an extra gifting. You see, so much of it is our conditioning. And we're conditioned to look down on someone or look up to someone. Look at the advertising industry. They steal, they take away your dignity and sell it back to you at the price of the product. You're not cool unless you've got those jeans, those sneakers, that top, that perfume, that hairstyle, whatever. Mind you, I'm disadvantaged as well. Am I? Maybe I'm not, I don't know. I was talking to Dean and Benga preparing the wedding and Dean said to me, Tom, how do you feel about being bald? And you know, honestly, I was going... What? Am I bald? I'm, I'm bald, I'm bald. It doesn't even occur to me. You see, it's all in here and in here, amen? It is all, so you were trying it on now with me, weren't you? You were trying to get me down, weren't you? <laughs> so here we see someone with a disadvantage, but did that stop a hood? You see, if the Spirit of God is upon you, no man can stop you. No woman can stop you. God raised up. He didn't raise up himself. God raised him up. Do you think God can raise you up? About four people think that. Okay. You know what? For the four of you, God will raise you up. For the rest of you, I challenge you. Have you got the faith? No. Well, maybe God will give you that. So here we see. What did he do? It's a long story you can read in. But he got a private appointment with the oppressor. Eglon, the king, was evil. He was a big obese man. But see, he reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh, killing the oppressor. You see, the security around this king were looking for right-handed men. And they would have looked straight away. Was there anything on his left-hand side? Because if you're right-handed, you're going to do it that way. It's like if you go into a castle. Ireland has loads of medieval castles. And you go up the round stairs in the castle, and they're built a certain way so that your right hand is in against the wall. Why? So that they were protected. If anyone broke into the castle, only a left-handed warrior with a sword in his hand could actually fight against those who were above them. Whereas those coming down, the owners, they were free with their right hand. That's why you will always go into a castle with your right shoulder against the wall going around up, but you've got your right hand free coming down. You see, everything is geared against the majority. And so here, he used his disadvantage. He used that thing that made him not fit in so that he could overcome the oppressor, not just for himself, but for his people. Would anyone say hallelujah? Do you think God can use your disadvantage? Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. Everything I read in scripture is about people with disadvantage, overcoming that disadvantage. Not only that, but Ehud built community. Every good leader will always build community. If someone says they're a leader and nobody is following them, to quote John Maxwell, the Christian writer, if no one is following you and you think you're a leader, you're just out having a walk. You're just taking a stroll. Ehud wasn't about himself. He was about his community. He wasn't thinking of me, me, me. He was thinking of them, them, them. Why? Because the Lord rose him up. 
And that's why if you ever meet a pastor who's always on about himself, your alarm bell should be ringing. If it's all me, 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 something's wrong. That's not Jesus. Would Jesus be that way? Jesus laid down his life. Whoever wants to be first must be what? Last. Last. The good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Ehud built community. This misfit, this guy who couldn't go with all the lads with the right fist up because they all knew he was a, I was going to say kitog, they didn't use that word, but they knew he was different. Suddenly, he starts building community. You couldn't read it in verse 28. The clock is against me. He blew a trumpet. He said, follow me. He wasn't into himself, but someone has got to lead. Nature abhors a vacuum. He said, follow me. And they did. The Lord, not me, the Lord has given the enemy into our hands. And guess what happened? The Lord did give the enemy into their hands. They won. They won. Here's the thing. Your choice today or this week will actually impact your children and your children's children. It has an intergenerational dynamic. Because if we skip years ahead, we read something very interesting about the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of the right-handed warriors, son of my right hand. Because we read, there were 700 chosen, very important, warriors of the tribe of Benjamin. All of them were left-handed, and each could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So here we have the very culture, the very people group, who celebrated one thing, doing a total U-turn. And the legacy of this man, generations later, is that they had an elite of left-handed warriors. Why? Because they learned. If you look at the great breakthroughs in medicine, in science, you usually come across someone who was an outsider, an immigrant, someone who didn't fit into the system. They had a disadvantage, but something within them wanted to overcome their disadvantage. And I submit to you, and I challenge you, how much more does God want you and me to overcome the advantages we have? Perhaps for such a time as this, you're alive. And perhaps the disadvantage that you carry around with you, whether it's to the forefront or buried deep within you, Perhaps that disadvantage is to be used for such a time as this because Ehud was raised up by God and he came over it. And what happened? Then the oppressor became the subject and there was peace for 80 years. The oppressor becomes the subject. Who is your oppressor this morning? Is it an addiction or a depression? or a loneliness, or something that a teacher or a parent did or said to you. I mean, I can go on and on. Is it your boss at work? I don't know, but God knows, you know. And can we see that God will turn that disadvantage, whatever it is that steals our conf confidence, the amount of people, and the pandemic has highlighted it, who suffer from social anxiety is legion. Social anxiety is legion. To even come into a place like this is a huge effort. And like you'd say, are we all going to attack someone? 
Is someone going to beat you up and rob you? No, but, but you see, the enemy knows how to get into our heads. He knows the landing strip. And each one of us carry that in different social situations, whether we're not very educated, and when we're with educated people, we feel different. Or our skin is a different color, or we're female rather than male, or increasingly male and not female. It gets all in there. But the oppressor becomes the subject. And God can turn your oppressor, whatever that is, and make it the subject under him. Anyone say hallelujah? For me, I get so excited. And look at this. There was peace for 80 years. 80 years. 80 years. If you look at the Jesus followers, they were Galileans uneducated in extremes. The Galileans were the rednecks. They were the country bumpkins. The Jews in Judea in the south looked down on the Galileans. They had a very strong accent. And if you came from the south of Israel, where all the power was, their accent grated on you. You didn't like it. The Galileans and the followers of Jesus, for the most part, weren't as educated as the Jews down south, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They weren't educated. And a lot of the followers of Jesus came from the edge or the extreme of society. Look at Matthew. He was a traitor and a sinner because he worked with the Romans. And then you go across to Simon the Zealot. He was an extremist, a hothead. And Jesus took these people. Why was Matthew a traitor? What was it in his background that made him turn his back on his society and work for the oppressor? What kind of a father or mother did he have? Why was Simon the Zealot so fired up that he'd kill people for a political cause? What motivated him? And these were the people that Jesus raised up with chips on their shoulder, with concrete blocks on the other shoulder. And Jesus raised them up. And you know what he did? He started healing them and he started setting them free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And these uneducated country bumpkins from the edge of society began to change the world. And you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for uneducated people with weird accents on the extreme of society. No matter how successful you and I are, these are our roots. And if God could do it for them, he can do it for you. Hallelujah. Let me conclude with one last example of someone who had a load of disadvantage, and it's very seasonal. I'm talking, of course, about Patrick. Patrick was a foreigner, a slave, and a Christian. Patrick was a foreigner. He came from the old Roman lands, basically Wales, and he was bought as a slave to Ireland. He didn't know the language. He was a foreigner. But because he was a foreigner, he had been exposed to the gospel. And he came into a pagan nation. And because he was a slave, he learned the language. And he had a weird faith, according to them, even on his escape. And you can read it. He tried to get a ship out of Ireland, a boat. And the sailors on the boat said, you're going to have to, with respect, you had to... I won't go into it, but you had to do something that um, was really risque. And Patrick refused to do it. And yet they still gave him uh, passage. 
And then a couple of years later, God used all these disadvantages and he came back with advantages. And so the foreigner who had a unique insight into Ireland, who knew the language, came back with his faith. And he and those with him changed this nation, this island, from paganism to being one of the most strongly Christian nations on earth. And for about 300 years, we here were known as the island of saints and scholars. The Bible was protected here. It was the only place in the world where you could read the Bible because it was protected here. It came from Patrick, the man with all the disadvantages, a teenage slave that people would spit at. And yet God raised him up and turned his disadvantage to an advantage. So I leave it to you. Are you willing to say, God, I'm carrying around a coffin or I've got a shadow and it's robbing my peace and my joy and my confidence. And whether we admit it or not, I want God for you to turn my disadvantage into a blessing. In one way, this is a very old story. But in another way, there's a freshness and a newness to it. Could the band come up? We're going to sing a song. We will not be shaken. Hallelujah. So this is a challenge and it's an invitation for you and I to overcome our disadvantage. Will you stand with us? Think. Half of us here know straight away what the disadvantage is. And the other half of us probably aren't really sure. But if you're not really sure, that's okay. But I know it's there, and I know God wants to use it. Can we throw up the words, we will not be shaken. Let's sing it, and then we'll close in prayer. Though the battle rages, we will stand in the fight. Though the armies rise up against us on all sides. We will not be shaken, we will not be shaken, we will not be shaken, though the battle rages. Though the battle rages, we will stand in the fight. Though the armies rise up against us on all sides, we will not be shaken. to shake our faith but let's invite God to do a total turnaround inside in our hearts if you are no, if you are cognizant of your disadvantage would you lift your hand to the Lord and it can be a, one of a hundred things nobody knows but God knows I'm going to ask you in the closing minutes if you're comfortable come and lay it on the altar here at Grace Christian Church Leave it here so that over the next month you can see and we will pray. And remember we've got prayer and fasting coming up towards the end of the month that we can see the difference in our lives. Let's sing the song again and I'm going to invite you to come up to the top and then we're going to symbolically lay it here.
trust in our God. And through His unfailing love, we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. For we trust. For we trust in our God. And through His unfailing love, we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. God knows the disadvantage that's come to your mind. If you're able for it, will you kneel down? And I'm going to kneel down. And what we're doing is we're symbolically leaving this issue with the Lord. So let's lift up our hands. Heavenly Father, look into the hearts and the souls of these men and women. Here it is. Here it is. Maybe it's a failed marriage, a failed education, a failed heart, uh, health Maybe we're just not fitting in where we're trying to fit in. But God, we don't understand it all, but you do. And so, with this word about this left-handed man, using his disadvantage for a blessing, we say, here's our disadvantage. We lay it at the foot of the cross. We're here in Grace Christian Church. We lay it down here, Lord. Let's repeat after me, and I'm going to ask you to say the words, I lay it down. Those, what is that, three or four words. Let's just do that at the count of three and say it out loud together. I lay it down. One, two, three. I lay it down. Hear our voices. See our hearts. We leave it here. And over the next month, oh God, we pray. Would you do something wonderful? Would you just break into our workplaces, our relationships, our study, our health, our heads, our hearts, and let us see evidence or the first fruits of you using our disadvantage and turning it into a blessing. Let the month of March be the month of evidence of something changing in our lives. Hallelujah. We pray that that would begin now. Will and Melissa Leoncio, the Lord would say to both of you, and now I am coming into the field that is your lives, and I am turning the sod. I am the plow, says the Lord your God, and I am like a furrow turning that soil. That furrow while has not been turned, and you might be weary, and you may be embarrassed, but the Lord was saying, what has been happening during the wilderness is now like soil left to um, generate richness. You are so fertile spiritually now, says the Lord. Because as I turn the soil, I will plant the seed and you will bear fruit even to a hundredfold, says the Lord your God. So look forward to the next season because I am going to show you, even though it hurts, how I will bless you. And you will be known. Once it was the field that was fallow, but now it is the field that is fertile and producing great fruit.
And I will break into the heart of all of your children. And I will do something that is profound and not seen in your lives before. Because I will come into their dreams at night. And by day when their minds wander, they will see my face as the Lord your God. What I am about to do is deeply intergenerational. So have faith for the future. And be prepared to let the soil of your hearts be turned. Because I'm doing something wonderful. Says the Lord your God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Can we stand up guys? And as you go back to your seats. Can I ask people to give these guys a round of applause? It's never easy to admit something like this and come forward. Let's use the last minute to sing the chorus before we close. For we trust in in our our God. God. And that for the month of March, as Ireland physically is moving into a new zone, we pray spiritually we would move into a better zone. And we would see it this coming month. We pray it in Jesus' name. And one last time God's people said, we're going to serve coffee and tea in the courtyard. The band are going to play us out. Thank you for coming. May God bless you.